Amen. You can be seated if you can tonight. You know, there are times we go through things in our life make us think that we have no future. We go through bad days. Has anybody here ever had a bad day? Somebody will have to tell me what that's like uh, because um, I've never had a bad day. I've been married to Beth for 27, almost 27 years. All those days have been great, always wonderful. Beth says she's had a lot of bad days. I don't understand that. But um, I believe that God wants to do something spectacular. And I've come by tonight to let you know that it doesn't matter where you've been, God still has a work for you. It doesn't matter what you've been faced with. It doesn't matter what you've lived through. It doesn't matter what you've been afraid of. God has a blessing for you. He has a revival for you. Somebody asked me earlier about our revival and said, how's it going? I said, it's awesome. I said, the anointing is so thick that, that you can't hardly move. And they said, have you had a lot of people? I said, no. No. I said, but so far, every sermon God has preached, had had me preach has been about revival to the church. I believe that there is coming a day that we're going to preach a revival that's going to get outside this door. But let me tell you something. A corpse can't save a sick person. And until we get a revival in our lives, we can't bring revival to their lives. A dead church is not going to wake up a dying city. And God is sending his word to move us past our doubts and past our fears so that we can reach out and do what God has called us to do. I want you to open your Bibles with me tonight. Genesis chapter 14, I want to read just two verses of Scripture tonight. Verse 13 and 14. Reading from the New Living Translation of the Bible, this is what it says. But Moses told the people, do not be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you right now. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your power. We praise you for your opportunity. Lord, we praise you, Lord, that that you have called us and that you have promised us that you will care for us. And, Lord, I pray that you would help us tonight to learn the source of this revival. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. You may be seated. Let me give you just a little bit of background here tonight. Let me, let me set up where we're at here in the Scripture. In 
Genesis, excuse me, Exodus chapter 14, the children of Israel have now come out of Egypt. Ten plagues have filled the land. And they have found the last plague was the Passover. And the, the death angel passed over the Israelites, but then took the firstborn of every household of the people of Egypt. Every, every house from the, from the poorest to Pharaoh itself lost their firstborn child. There was weeping in the city. There was sadness. Pharaoh said, get out of our land. Just as God had promised, they had went to their neighbors and their neighbors had given them gold and silver, had given them treasures, and they plundered the land of Egypt as they left the land. And as they began to leave, they were on the road. They had dedicated their firstborn. They said, if God saved them, we're going to give them back. And they had had celebration. And they got on the road. And Pharaoh said, kidding. I didn't mean it. And he mounted up his army. And they began to chase the children of Israel into the desert. I have another sermon I preach. I think I've preached it here before called Caught Between the Clouds. As the cloud of God was leading them away, the cloud of dust from the army of the enemy was closing in behind. And the children of Israel began to cry out within days of seeing God deliver them, began to cry out, was it because there was not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us to the wilderness to die? Was it because that there wasn't enough problems in the past that you gave us more problems today. They forgot the revivals. They forgot the deliverance. They forgot the anointing. They forgot the power. You know what that's like? That's like you getting up in the morning and saying, my word, it's a bad day. God, have you forgotten about me? Even though we've been in revival all week and the anointing has been so thick that you can't hardly stir it. And we've sat in these altars and we've wept and we've cried and we've seen healings and deliverances and powers. And yet in the morning, if we wake up with a bad day, we go, I don't think it's worth it. Moses gets up and the Bible says, but Moses. But changes everything. But Moses, Moses got up, and with boldness and with power, Moses got up and said, But listen to me. It takes authority to stand up in a group of whining, crying, belly aching people and say, Listen to me. Don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch God deliver you. He got up with boldness and power, and he stood there as the leader, as the director, as the voice of power and victory, and said, don't be afraid. Understand that God is going to deliver you. He says, the Egyptians you now see, you're never going to see them again. 
the Lord is going to fight your battle. He began to preach victory. He began to preach peace. He began to preach power. He began to preach understanding. He began to preach a revival service that was about to go down in the history of the Israelites and the history of Christianity that God has cast the horse and the rider into the sea and the enemy has no power against us. But let me let you in on something. Moses only preached that because he knew what it was like to talk like the Israelites. See, Moses had already had a revival that had changed the way he saw life. Moses had already had an encounter that changed how he felt about the enemy. My fear is too many of us have not learned from our revival enough to be able to stand up among the brethren and stand up among our brothers and sisters and say, don't worry about it. God's going to take care of it. God's going to fight it. You can't say God's got this until you've been a few places that God was the only one that had it. So let's look back at Moses' revival. The first thing he preaches is don't be afraid. Let me tell you about Moses. Moses was born in a time that everybody had forgot about Joseph. The children of Israel had been taken captive in a land that they came to freely. In a land that was provided for them to save them from a famine, they began to grow, and now the Egyptians had made them slaves in a place they were never intended to be in slavery. They were not exiled there. They were not captured and brought there. They came there in peace. They came there in victory. They came there at the invitation of the Pharaoh. And now they have the Pharaohs have forgotten who Joseph was that had saved Egypt. And now they were afraid of him. And they say, if there's too many of them, they'll rise up and they'll defeat us. So here's what we'll do. We will have the midwives take every male child and throw them in the river. Make alligator food out of them. We'll take every male child. They can't grow in population if all the Boys are dead. Oh, let me tell you something. When the enemy wants to stop a generation, he doesn't go to the middle age. He doesn't go to the older. The devil will attack the babies every time. Don't tell me that the devil's not preparing for the rapture generation to change this world because the leading governments in the world have now made abortion legal and not only legal. Now we have people that stand and fight for the right to kill their children. Moses' mama 
made a basket, pitched it with tar, put the baby in the basket and did exactly what the king said, put the baby in the, in the river. And as his sister watched from the shore, Pharaoh's own daughter came down and gathered that basket, found that baby, said, I will take this child and raise it. Moses' brother went to her and said, do you need one of the mothers in the, of the Hebrews to nurse the child? And she said, yes. And Moses' own mother was able to nurse him till he was weaned. And then he went and he grew up in the palace. This slave child lived in the big house. He lived in the palace. He got to go to school. I know that doesn't sound exciting to y'all. But he got to go to school. He got to learn to read and write. He was trained and taught how to lead, how to lead people, how to lead armies, how to be a leader, not just spiritually that I believe God was teaching him, but, uh, but naturally and, and physically how to be a leader, why God was preparing him for something. But one day, he saw an Egyptian beating Hebrew. And he rose up and he killed the Egyptian. A few days later, he saw two Hebrews fighting and he began to try to break up the fight. And they said, oh, be careful. Moses will kill you. And the Bible said he became afraid. You see, the man that could stand up in boldness and say, fear not, knew what fear was. He became afraid. He became so afraid that he walked away from the palace. He walked away from his positions. He walked away from his authority. He walked away from his protection, and he went and hid on the backside of the desert. He went and hid in another land. I got news for you. Some of you are living here today, and you can't preach a revival of victory because you can't say, be not afraid, because you're too busy being afraid. Moses is on the backside of the desert. He's walking around one day and he looks up and there's a burning bush. And he sees that it's on fire, but it's not consumed. He comes up to that bush and all of a sudden the Lord speaks and says, Moses, don't come any closer. See, when the power of God gets there, but your life is full of fear, God makes sure you keep a little distance. You want to know why God's keeping you at arm's length? God's keeping you at arm's length because you're still letting fear control where you live. God's keeping you at a distance because you still let fear control how you think. God's keeping you at a distance because you still let fear control where you go. You still let fear control who you talk to. You still let fear control you. He says, oh, Moses, you better stay back. 
You better take your shoes off. You're standing on holy ground now. It's time you get all the things that you put around you to protect you. You get rid of them and you start trusting me. I got news for you. Moses was to take his shoes off because there was no place for man-made protection in the presence of God. He said, I want you to come to me the way I created you. I want you to come to me. Uh, 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 open and willing to receive whatever I have. I want you to come to me unprotected. And God says, I've heard the cry of my children. And I want you to go and deliver the children of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. And Moses who stands in Genesis 14 and says, be not afraid. Moses stands up with power and authority and says, oh, Lord Jesus, send anybody but me. Send anybody but me. He was too afraid to answer God's call. You see, the same man that can tell a nation to be not afraid could only tell them that because he knew what it was like to look God in the eye and say, God, I can't do what you're wanting me to do. I'm not capable. I'm not willing. What if they ask me a question? I can't talk. I got news for you, church. He knew what fear was. He understood what fear was. The Bible said, when you read the story of the the burning bush, every time God said something, Moses said, I can't do that. That, Well, well, what if they ask me, who who sent me? Say, I am sent you. Well, what if that's not good enough? I can't talk. I can't do this. The Bible finally says, and the Lord got angry. Said, listen, I will send your brother. Your brother can talk. You two can go together. You won't be by yourself. Trust me. Moses went, but Moses didn't go willingly. God had showed him miracles. He threw his staff on the ground, it became a snake. He stuck his hand inside his coat, pulled it out, it was withered with leprosy. Put it back in his coat, pulled it out, and it was whole. Everything that he tested God with because of his fear and his doubt, God answered. And because there was nothing else to do, Moses finally went on. Moses finally figured out if he can make a bush burn, he can make me burn. Now, sometime later, He stands before the nation of Israel and he says, do not be afraid. I've come by here today to tell you when I say do not be afraid of what God is going to do, it's not because I've always had it together. It's not because I've always known what to do. It's because I know what fear can do. I know how fear can stop me. I know how fear can hold me back. When I stand before you and I tell you to suck it up, buttercup, 
it's because I've been where you're at. When I tell you quit telling God you can't, it's because I've spent a lifetime telling God I can't. When I tell you that you're good enough to do what God has called you to do, it's because I spent a lifetime telling God I'm not capable. I have finally understood that if God said it, I can do it. It doesn't matter if I believe it or not. I don't want a revival preached to me by somebody that's never faced what we're talking about. I don't want a revival preached in my heart that comes from a place that they haven't felt the pain in my heart. Moses gets up and he says, do not be afraid. He doesn't say it because he's never been afraid. He says it because they know that he has spent most of his life in fear. Those people knew him. They knew he had run. They knew he had doubted. They knew he had been worried. Even when he got back and he went to Pharaoh the first time and Pharaoh doubled the workload and took away the straw, Moses went to God and said, God, what are you doing? Moses knew what it was like to be afraid. The people knew he had been afraid. But now he could stand up and say, fear not. Don't be afraid. Then he goes on, he says something else. He says, just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The second part of Moses' sermon is a statement of authority, a statement of peace. Stand still and watch. Don't try to work it out. Don't try to organize it out. Don't try to lay it out. Stand still and watch. Oh, Moses knew how to live, stand still, and watch. He didn't want to go. But then he does go to Pharaoh, and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, who do you think you are? And the Bible says that he takes and throws his rod down on the ground. It becomes a snake. Pharaoh goes, Bill. Pharaoh calls in his magicians. They walk in and they throw their staves down and they become snakes. I want you to catch that. Moses doesn't do anything. But Moses' staff devours the other snakes. Moses' staff. Another time he goes and he says, if you don't let my people go, God's going to turn the water into blood. He raises his staff. He doesn't do anything to water other than raise that staff up. And every bit of water in the city turned to blood. There was a plague of flies. There was a plague of frogs. I love the plague of frogs. 
frogs everywhere. Here's what I like about the plague of frogs. Pharaoh calls him and said, what are we going to do about these frogs? He said, listen, whenever you tell me to, I'll get rid of them. And Pharaoh says, tomorrow morning. No, Pharaoh said, one more night. We'll keep the frogs another night. Oh, that's a whole other sermon. One more night with the frogs. Sometimes you get so caught up and so tied up in your sin, so tied up in the punishment God's given you, you say, God, I want you to deliver me, but give me one more night with the frogs. Mm. You know what Moses said? As you have said it, so it will be. In every one of the plagues, Moses stood still and watched. You know what I want to do? I want Uh, we in the church don't know how to stand still and watch because we still have this crazy idea. We got to make it happen. You know why we don't worship right? Because we thought we got to make it happen. You want to know why we don't preach right? Because we thought, think we got to make it happen. You want to know why we don't pray right? Because we think we got to get up here and say the right words and pace the right way and stand the right way or lay the right way. I got news for you. Stand still and watch what God wants to do. Quit trying to figure it out. Want to know why your life is messed up right now? Your life is messed up right now because you're trying to fix it. Your life is messed up right now because you're wasting all of your time instead of calling out on the King of kings and Lord of lords. Instead of putting your life in his hands, you're trying to make sure you've got it all laid out, that you've done everything this, that, and another way. You want to know why the church is messed up? Because we have programmed it and and, and activated it to death. We don't have time to pray. We don't have time to have church because we got this program and that program and this You want to know why we don't have evangelism? We don't have evangelism because every time I preach about evangelism, somebody asks me, well, what kind of class can we do? We don't have discipleship because we want some kind of program to do. I got news for you. It's time that we understand all we got to do is put our hand, our lives in the hand of the man. All we got to do is trust him and stand still and watch him. We don't know how to stand still in the American church. got a bunch of us idiotic half committed men and women standing behind pulpits complaining about people being stagnant and we don't give people time to breathe or pray 
Now, I, I'm, I need to go get that picture again. I'm talking to myself. Our idea of standing still and watching God is being right on his heel. Going, oh, now, God, are you going to do it this way? Now, now God, who are we going to get to do this? And who are we going I never do that, do I, Sarah? I'll, I'll, go to, I'll go to Sarah, and I'll say, we need to get this done. And then before, I can, before we even leave the building, she watches me as I go begin to take care of it. And Sarah will look at me and go, Pastor, be still. She's actually used those words. Be still. What she's telling me is, quit trying to fix what you've given somebody else to fix. What would happen if the church quit trying to fix what we've given God to fix? What would happen if we quit trying? What would happen if we quit, quit trying to fix with human terms what we've trusted God to fix with super? God, give us joy, and we go try to find things that will make us happy. The reason you're happy but you don't have joy is because you got something. We say, God, heal us. But we pay more attention to what the doctor says than what God says. Listen to me, I'm not preaching against doctors. I'm not preaching against doctors, but I'll tell you what I am preaching against. I'm preaching against people that trust a doctor more than they trust God. I've been there too many times when the doctor said there was no hope. And God said, oh, yes, serious. I've been there in the room when the doctor comes in, and I was sitting with a family. And the doctor told that family that the precious little child that had been born would never get out of the fetal position. That there was no quality of life and they might as well unplug every machine and just wait for her to die. I can tell you that little girl's seven years old now. She's out of the fetal position. She's in a wheelchair. She's got some challenges. She's got some difficulties, but she has way more than they ever said she was going to be. I've been there. When they said, you can't do this. But if we'll trust God, we can. Stand still and watch what God's doing. Quit trying to do it yourself. Quit trying to make it happen. You can't make your ministry. You got to stand back and watch God make your ministry. It ain't going to come because you get out there and do it. It's going to come because God gives it to you. You can't make your calling real. You have to watch your calling grow. See, Moses understood what it meant. The whole questioning at the burning bush was, God, I'm not able to do this. I'm not good enough to do this. But then when he got to Pharaoh's palace, he understood he was pretty good at standing still. 
He began to realize that when he got out of the way, God could do more without him than he could do by himself. Nineteen ninety-eight. I got let go from my position as youth pastor in St. Louis. I've preached about that many times here. God wound up opening a door for me in Greenwood, South Carolina. Now in St. Louis, I was in a church that ran at that time about seven hundred people. Had a hundred kids on my youth group roll, had fifty to fifty to seventy any given week in youth, in youth services. Went to Greenwood, South Carolina. There was one hundred and thirty people in the whole church. Every name of every teenager associated with church was given to me when I got there, and it totaled four. Or that you-know-who-I-am mentality was really taking a hit. Of the four kids that was on the roll, the first couple of weeks, I'd have one or two in, in youth group. And needless to say, some of you have known me well enough over the last seven years. I'm a little egotistical. I have a slight ego. Quit making that face, Sarah. I have a little bit of an ego. I was beat up and bruised. For the first time in my life, I'd been told I couldn't do something. I'd been let go. I got fired. Or what they called it, I got fired. I wind up in a little bitty church. With a little bitty youth group, so obviously I wasn't good enough to be a youth group, a youth pastor in a big church. I wasn't, I wasn't talented enough. I wasn't anointed enough. I wasn't blessed enough. And I went into deep, dark depression. I, I, I'm talking about the kind of depression that stays up all night so I can sleep all day so I don't have to deal with people. I'm talking about the kind of depression that finds out that rodeo comes on about 3 o'clock in the morning. And I became a fan of the rodeo. If I turn on a rodeo now, Beth goes, oh, are you depressed? What's wrong? Are you depressed? I, I didn't want to talk to people. I didn't want to be around people. That church was so small, I didn't even have an office at the church. My my job requirement was to be there on Wednesday night and be there on Sunday morning, so that's all I worried about. I'd roll in on Sunday and on Wednesday, and everybody thought I was doing all this and doing all that, and I was just going through the motion. I didn't care. Something weird began to happen. All of a sudden, one or two kids became five or ten kids, became 15 or 20 kids. 25 or 30. All of a sudden, our church split. And the youth group takes over the church. I mean, I mean, literally, 
The sound man got up and walked out. Our church literally split in one service. The sound man got up and walked out. A teenager went and took over the sound system. The praise team was all teenagers. The, the, the youth group pretty much took over the church. Revival hit. Thirteen weeks of revival with Brother Curtis Silcox. That's where I met him. The youth group went crazy. I told you about them. Go to Applebee's and pray over the food and have tongues and interpretation. Two of them disappeared, went to the bathroom. They wasn't coming back in a while. I sent Beth to check on the girls. She's come back. She goes, one of them's laid out on the floor. They got to praying for each other. Out in the spirit in the bathroom floor. That better be the Holy Ghost. One of my young men was at, was at Dairy Queen one day, and there was a guy behind him cussing, and he turned around and said, in the name of Jesus, I cast out that demon of foul language and laid hands on this dude he didn't know in the middle of Dairy Queen. I told those kids, I don't want no, nothing to do with you. <laughs> Leave me out of it. I'm telling you, the greatest revival I ever saw among any group that I've ever led. I was. When I finally came to my senses, God delivered me of my depression. Moved. Six months after I moved, I was like, God, why did I, why did I leave that? I'll tell you something. And what God taught me, all your ministry has been trying to make it happen. No matter what it took, when you got out of the way, look what I was in. Let me tell you something. Quit getting in God's way. Quit getting in God's way. Quit telling God how qualified you are. Quit telling God how gifted you are. Quit telling God how powerful you are and say, God, I'm just going to stand here and watch. You know what God started doing to me when I was in Greenwood? As the depression was lifted, we had been some of those Holy Ghost outpouring services, and God would send me to the back of the building. myself standing back on the back wall watching everything that God was doing. Can I tell you, God did that to me last night. Had this altar service, I began to pray with people. All of a sudden, I'm right over here. And God says, you need to get out of the way. I looked around, I said, okay. And I knew, I knew who to give it to. I come over to Sarah and I said, whenever you think the time's right, you dismiss it. I went up and got in that corner. And I got out of the way. Let the anointing move beyond me. Until we learn to get out of the way, we'll never be able to watch what God's doing. You you can't watch what you're in the middle of. You can't watch what you're doing. 
Every once in a while, I go home. Sunday morning, I preach the message that I felt like as I was preaching it. I felt like it was a message to me. You know what? I didn't count on what I heard while I was in the middle of preaching it. I went home, and I pulled it up, and I watched it because I knew I needed to hear what God was saying, and I couldn't hear it in the middle of it. Stand still. Boy, that's hard for some of us. But God, what? But I don't know what's going to happen with this revival. I don't know if we're going on, but I've already started asking God, God, what are you doing? Amy's going on vacation. Do I need to start planning? I, I, I know I can get there. And, and you know what, God, I, I was here last night going, okay, I could, I could, and, 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 and Amy, do you not, God spoke to me, be still, I'll take care of it. If we continue, I don't know, next week we may have no music. Oh, we'll find out if it's a real revival then or not. Pentecostal church, no music. Tell you what. I don't know what God's going to do, but if we go on, God will take care of it. God will take care of it. He's told me to quit planning. Quit laying it out. Quit trying to orchestrate it. Quit trying to organize it. Just let it happen. And then, after he has the audacity last night to tell me to stand still. Then this afternoon, he tells me to preach, stand still and watch it. Sometimes God spoken. We got to stand still. Moses could get up and he could tell the people, stand still and watch the Lord because he had stood still. And watch so can I can I point out something I noticed? I can't because I got the microphone. Moses threw a fit, made Aaron, made God bring Aaron in to talk for him. And after the first encounter, you read the Bible and it never says Aaron did anything. Now, I don't know, Aaron may have. God told them to be a team. Aaron and Aaron became the priest. But it never talks about Aaron again, confronting Pharaoh. Sometimes when we stand still and let God do, we find out we can do a whole lot more than what we thought we could do. Sometimes when we quit trying to make it happen, when we quit trying to figure it out, it just happens. Stand still. Watch the Lord deliver you. Then he says this. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. You will never see them again. Oh, now, Pastor, well, you, Moses didn't counter that. He, he was in Egypt. He left, and he came back. He saw them again. He was hoping that he had never seen the Egyptians. Oh, that's not who I'm talking about. Moses was born with a call. From Moses' conception and his birth, he was 
born with a purpose to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. But when he was 40 years old, he got scared. He went out on the backside of the desert. He met this pretty young thing. And he got married. And he began to shepherd somebody else's sheep. Too many of us have gotten too connected to somebody else's ministry, somebody else's sheep, somebody else's calling, somebody else's belonging, and it has kept us from our calling. But when Moses saw the burning bush and gave in to God, he left somebody else's sheep in the desert, and he never saw it. Hear this. You can't follow somebody else's life. You can hide there for a while, but it's never going to be you. It's never going to be what God called you to be. I'm never going to be T.L. Lowry. Bless God. Oh, that's what T.L. Lowry sounded like. Bless God in the house. Praise God. He had a voice. I found out that he had a voice because when I knew him, he was an older man. And he preached loud all of his life. My voice is getting more like his, but it's not because I was trying. <laughs> it's my voice is getting wore out. I'm never going to be Steve Brock. Steve Brock, many of you know him. He used to. He used to travel with Benny Hinn a lot. He's a singer. He's a Church of God preacher. He would come and do camp meetings, and, and he would sing. Oh, my word. Woo. And then he would preach the house down. When I started evangelizing, man, I wanted to be like Steve Brock, and I got me a bunch of soundtracks, and I'd sing three or four songs, and then I'd preach. About three or four weeks into my evangelistic career, I was praying one day and going, Dear God, Jesus, you're going to have to heal my voice because this is killing me. God spoke to me and said, Son, you better decide if you're going to be a singer or a preacher. And if you want my opinion, you better be a preacher. But God said, I... I couldn't be I couldn't be somebody else. I couldn't tend somebody else's sheep. God called me to my own flock. God called me to do my own work. I got news for you. When you get a hold of what God has, you don't have to go back and see what other people have anymore cuz it doesn't matter. I I don't care if your flock is bigger than my flock. I don't care if your church is bigger than my church. I don't care if your ministry is more polished or better looking than my ministry is. I don't have to look at what you've got because God's given me my own calling. He's given me my own ministry. I don't have to look at what belongs to other people anymore. The Egyptians had enslaved the Hebrews, 
they had convinced them that they were better than than, than the Hebrews. The reason the Hebrews were enslaved again was not because they were conquered. It's because they were raised to to believe they wasn't as good. And I tell you right now, the devil's trying to convince some of you that you're not as good as this one or that one or the other one. He's trying to raise you spiritually thinking that you're not as capable, you're not as talented, you're not as called. But I got news for you. If you'll trust God, you don't have to see that liar liar anymore. You don't have to listen to those lies in your ear anymore. You don't have to think that you're not good enough anymore. Moses thought he was only good enough to watch somebody else's sheep when God said, I got a nation for you to lead. You don't have to lead somebody else's sheep. I've heard, and I don't know this to be a fact, but I've heard that in the time that Moses was away, that not only did he tend somebody else's flock, I heard that he also took jobs as generals for other armies, that he would lead other countries' military campaigns, that he would lead other groups of people. They wasn't his. Some of us think that as long as we can be a leader somewhere, that must be what God wants us to do. God never called you to be a hireling. God called you to the flock that he intended you. Pastor, it may not be mine, but at least I got something to do. No, 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 no. Stand still and watch God deliver you. These other people's stuff that you've been dealing with, you will never have to deal with again because God's about to give you a promise. What he was saying, these Egyptians you're looking at, you're looking at their land, you're looking at their position, their possessions, but when you see what God's about to do, you won't have to live in their land anymore because God is giving you your own land. He's giving you your own promise. He's giving you your own residence. He's going to give you your own house. We don't have to see them again. Then he says this. Conclusion of his sermon, not mine. It says, the Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. In the middle of of was there not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to die? There's no way out of here. We're caught between the Red Sea and the enemy army. We're either going to drown or we're going to die. I don't understand. Why did you do this? Moses gets up and says, God's got this. You know I had to get that in there. That's my flock. God's got this. 
We need to quit worrying about how it looks. We need to quit worrying about what we think are going to happen. We need to understand that God is going to fight our battles for us. Oh, but Pastor, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to trust. 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 And we've talked a lot about trust this week. Sunday morning, trust. Like Noah, let God shut you up in that boat for a year. When God shuts the door, he's the only one that can open the door. Trust. Let God convince you to go ahead and schedule a service. Okay, trust. We've got to understand that God's got this. God's going to fight the battle. God's going to make a way. And you can't see it. You can't see it. That's what makes God's got this so God's got this means nothing if I can see it. Look at this. I want you all to watch this. This right here is called a doorknob. Okay? Now, if I turn that knob, I can open. I didn't have it. I did. I can see it. I know how it works. What's more than that, I'm now old enough and mischievous enough that I've taken those things apart. And I and I got a general idea how they work. There's a rod that goes through there and it's and it's usually got some kind of shape, a lot of times like a crescent shape, and it goes through a slot. And when that you turn that it moves the it moves and causes the 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 thingamabobber to come in. Those are technical terms. Forgive me for the technical terms. You turn that dilly whopper and the thingamabobber moves, and that takes it out of the the the, the doohickey, and, and and that allows you to open the door. I I've got that. I, I I can understand that. But God's got this is stuff that I ain't got. It's stuff I can't see. Me. Army. Me. They've got weapons. They've got chariots. We got our hands full of their gold. They're coming for battle. We just got up from dinner. Read the Bible. They ate the Passover. God said, eat it all. Don't leave any from the morning. We're full. We're loaded down with plunder. And now we got to figure out how to fight a battle. We haven't started working on an army yet. 
somebody in the group was probably going, well, we can make this. We'll grab this golf club and we'll fight them off with a golf club. We couldn't see. They couldn't see how to fix it. Then the Lord said to Moses, in verse 15, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. You ever thought, you ever figured out you need to explain things to God? Hang on a second. You need to look down here before you start talking. See? Army, mountains, where you want us to move to? What are you crying to me for, God says? Tell the people to get moving. God's still working on a God's got this mentality. They're still going, I Hear this. Good, it's good stuff. I'm having fun. I don't care if you are or not. Why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through in the middle of the sea on dry ground. Read that again. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water and so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on the dry ground. Something not right about that. Because God's direction was stated in fact. Not in fact. Now, if you'll believe me, it wasn't if you'll try this, but he made a statement, pick up your staff, reach it over the water, and divide the water, as if he had done it a thousand times before. Just divide the water. When we begin to walk under the direction of God, we don't need him to give us ifs and ands. We don't need to give him to say, if you'll try this or if you'll do this. All we've got to do is understand that God makes a statement. And once God makes a statement, it works whether we think it will or not. Pick up your staff and divide the ocean. Don't ever tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. So God's telling him, quit crying. He tells the people to move. They don't know where to move to. Then he tells Moses, pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through in the middle on dry ground. As if that's just, that he should have figured that out for himself. And then he tells him what he will do. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will, so they'll charge in after you. God, you're not very good at this deliverance stuff, are you? 
First, you're telling me to do stuff that is miraculous. As if it's natural. Hmm. That sort of sounds like walking by faith and not by sight. That, that, that means that when God speaks to us, he doesn't need to explain himself. If God tells you to speak to that tree and make it go away, just speak to it. He says, speak to that mountain and it'll be cast into the sea. Better believe that mountain's going. Y'all have heard the story. Y'all have heard the story. Little seven-year-old boy, maybe six, somewhere a little. Yeah, I was little at one time. I had a little old bitty kid and dad preached on speak to this mountain and it will be removed and I went home and in my back in the, the house behind us by behind our house there was a sand pile probably that tall and to me that was a mountain that's where I played king of the mountain with my friends and I buried cars in that mountain and 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 I played on that sand pile he had been there for a long time I got that night and got home and I got thinking about what dad had preached and I got up I remember it I got up and I looked out that window and I said, in the name of Jesus, let that mountain be gone. And I was like, it didn't go nowhere. Went to bed. The next morning, I hear, <laughs> got up, I looked out my window, and there was a backhoe out there loading that sand up in the back of a dump truck, and it was driving away. And a bunch of my Hot Wheels are going with it. <clears throat> Be careful what you ask God to do. You'll lose your Hot Wheels. God moved that mountain for me as a child. Oh, he did not. They come in and take with a dump truck. Oh, you tell me that a sand pile that had been there for a year just happened to move the morning after I asked God to move it. I'm telling you right now, God did the supernatural. When God tells you to do something, you don't need his explanation. I remember when I was growing up, my mom and daddy would tell me to do something, and I'd say, why? Because I said so. I'd get mad. I'd storm into my bedroom, and I'd say, when I grow up, I'm always going to tell my kids why. And I did. Every time I told my kids to this day when I tell my kids to do something, I tell them why. Because I'm daddy. That's why. Because I'm dad. Because I borrowed a bunch of money for you to go to school. That's why. God doesn't need to explain himself. Stretch forth your hand and part the waters and go across on dry ground. And while you're doing that, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let the enemy chase you. Can I tell you, God knows more about your situation than you. The children of Israel could have crossed that sea. The cloud could have stayed there and kept the enemy at bay until they got to the other side. 
you think that would have stopped the enemy? They would have still been able to get around that sea. Now they would have been hungry to chase them down. But God said, if I let them chase you to the middle of the sea, I can get rid of them. See, sometimes when the enemy's chasing you, it's not because God's wanting to see if you can get away. It's so that God can get them where he needs them so he can get rid of them. Some of you have been caught up and worried about how close the enemy is to your back, the back of your heel as you're running away from him. But I got news for you. Hang on just another couple of minutes because the sea's about to crash in on them and you will never see them again. Praise God, the horse and the rider have been thrown into the sea. God's got this. God's got God knows more than you know. God's got this revival. Every service, every sermon has been laid out for a specific reason. We started Monday night talking about the opportunity. We got to take the opportunity. We we got to take the opportunity to have revival. Tuesday night, we talked about Tuesday night was a good place, wasn't it? Tuesday night we talked about a good place. We got to understand that God has brought us to a good place. Last night, convergence. We talked about coming together. We talked about changing our vision. You see, God has prepared us to look for opportunities to find the good place, to change the way we look at things. And now we see. Understand that the enemy can't catch you. Can I tell you a lie? I always ask God to tell you the truth. Let me tell you the truth. Every night this week, I've went home with pounding headaches. This morning, I woke up. Last night, I went to bed. Excruciating pain. This morning and all day today, my head is throbbed. It still hurts, but not as, it's the easiest it's been all day right now. Let me tell you something. The devil's chasing. God's just lining him up. Why don't you tell us you got a headache? Because I'm telling you, the devil challenges us. He whispers in your ear. He tells you this, that, and the other. But let me get up. Like Moses got up and said, do not be afraid. 
stand still and see and watch the Lord as he delivers you. These Egyptians you see right now, these problems you see right now, these circumstances you see right now, you're never going to see again because God's already got a plan and he's going to fight the battle for you. Quit trying to figure it out. Quit trying to answer how it's going to happen and just watch God. We've lived our life like the Hebrews. We've been raised in an environment that told us that we're not capable. I look around this church and many of us in this room have been in the church for a long time. There's actually people in this room right now that's been in church longer than I have, and that's, that's rare. I've been in my whole life. Almost 50 years I've been in. And and we've been taught in the church, especially in the Pentecostal, that we're just. Many of us in this room, we've been in smaller churches most of our life. And we've been taught. We just are who we are. Unfortunately, some of us have been taught, well, if you get into a big church, they just let down their standard. That's only big. They don't, they don't hold holiness. It's more godly being a little church. A bunch of hogwash. We've been told that we're inferior. And we have been enslaved to the religion that invited us in. We have been enslaved to the religion that enticed us to leave this. We thought it's where we were going to find victory. We thought it's where we was going to find freedom. But instead, we've got caught up in the religion. But God is giving you an opportunity to find a good place to change your view. You'll just trust it. You don't have to understand it. It doesn't have to make sense. I'm going to tell you, there ain't much about this revival makes sense to me. Control freak. A little bit of OCD, Pastor Tommy, struggling just a little bit. God hasn't given me three points in a poem. God hadn't given me an outline of how this thing is going to play out. I went home last night, got up this morning. I didn't even know what I was preaching tonight. Some of you that know me well know I know what I'm preaching two months from now. (laughs) That's the way I operate. And I'm actually behind schedule right now because normally I know six months to a year ahead of time what I'm preaching. Right now, I don't know day to day. I sat in my chair this morning with a pounding headache going, God, I don't know what to do. God, in his sense of humor, has me preach. 
Just put your rod out over the sea and part the water. You're here tonight. Here tonight. Because God is about to part the water in your life. You're here tonight because the enemy is right on your tail. And God's just lining them up. You're here tonight because it's time. Trust him. You don't have to understand it. It doesn't have to make sense. Here's what I'm going to promise you. We're going to do an altar call here in a second. I'm going to pray for some people, and God is going to do some amazing things. Spiritually, emotionally, physically, financially, uh, 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 God is just going to, he's going to rock your world. But I can make one promise. There's not any, God may even give me a word for a few people. That happens once in a while. I don't know if it will happen, but it happens often. But I can tell you what, not a, I, I can promise you none of the words I give you, nothing that happens in this altar is going to make sense. If it made sense, you could do it on your own. If a revival was just a series of services, I can plan those all day long. Not only can I plan a revival, I can plan a good revival. I know some good preachers. I can think outside the box. Dear Lord, I can show show you a way we can have six services in, in less than... 24 hours. Friday night, four services on Saturday, Sunday morning. And then we can go out in the yard and get dumped on with oil on Sunday night. Seven services in just a little more than 48 hours. Man, I can tell you some cool stuff. I can show you how to lay out some neat stuff. I can't give you a revival. I can bring in some great preachers. I can bring in a guy that can whistle. I can bring in a guy that can sweat. I go one better. Some of you are not going to believe I'm going to say this. I can get up and I can preach pretty good myself. Y'all know I never say stuff like that. My wife's over there. I can preach pretty good myself, but I can't give you a revival. I can make you laugh. I can yell loud enough to keep most of you awake. I can't keep all of you awake. I try, Rick, but I can't do it. Oh, did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. I I bragged on you today. I can pick on you tonight. (laughs) 
I, I, can, I, I, can do, I, can, I can make church fun, but I can't give you a revival. I can meet with you one-on-one, and I can teach you a few things about life. I can challenge you a little bit. I can make you cry. I can make you mad. But I can't, you get, I can't get you free of the enemy. I can't stop the devil. But I got news for you. If we'll trust God. I can promise you it won't make sense. What do you mean it won't? How do you know it won't make sense? Because supernatural is not natural. The supernatural, the miraculous. God may have felt like that stretching his stretching Moses' rod out over the sea was just a common thing to do. But I'm telling you, I bet you when Moses did it, I don't care what it looked like when Charlton Heston did it. When Moses did it, I bet he was scared to death. Like, <gasps> I've never seen the water part, but I remember the first time I laid hands on somebody and they fell out in the spirit. No joke, I was praying and I laid, I prayed and laid my hand on this lady. She went down and I went, Scared me to death. When God moves supernaturally, it doesn't make sense. It's not logical. But it's real. And in a few minutes, I'm going to give you an opportunity to step into the middle of the Red Sea. I'm going to give you an opportunity to get out of where you're at and walk into what doesn't make sense. Have you ever thought of how crazy altar calls are? Your life is falling apart. That don't make sense. But I get up there and let, but no, I'm evangelist. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Why in the world would I get up there and let somebody who's already got up and told me he's been afraid, who's already got up and told me that he struggles with control and it's hard for him to stand still, He's already told me tonight that everything he preaches, he struggled with. Why would I want him to lay hands on me? Because that's what God said. It doesn't have to make sense. It doesn't have to be logical. Because it's not about my touch. It's not about my prayer. It's about your obedience in his hand. God's got this. As long as we know God's got this, it doesn't matter. If I start telling you Tommy's got this, you better run. You better run. Because all I know is about is thingamabobs and dilly whoppers. God knows how to change a life. You're tired. 
you're tired of trying to make it work. If you feel like every time you move a step farther forward, it feels like it's just so you can die in another place. If you're tired of the enemy telling you that you're not worthy, you're not good enough. If you're tired of feeling like you've been left alone. If you're tired of life like it is and you're willing to step out into the Red Sea. I don't need to pray tonight. You need to trust tonight. Get up out of your seat and get up here to the Red Sea. Step in the water. See what God wants to do. If you're ready for God to change something, get in this altar right now. Oh, I don't know. We got to think about it.